The following episode contains sensitive topics around eating disorders that can be potentially triggering to some listeners. Remember that it's okay to skip this episode or take a break if needed. We hope you enjoy. I'm Riley. And I'm Dawson. And we are here with a guest yet again, uh, an old friend of ours, Shannon Raymond, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I am both a registered dietitian and a mental health counselor. Um, I work at Inspired Nutrition and Mental Health Counseling. I've been a registered dietitian for over eight years. Um, I am a new counselor, but I have been in the field for a while, so I'm not yet licensed, but I'm working on it. Um, I graduated with my master's in clinical mental health counseling a year ago, um, so I've been been doing counseling since then. I work in the um, eating disorder population mostly, so doing some before I became a counselor, it was mostly nutrition work. Um, and now I'm doing more of the mental health counseling piece, but I still some I, I still have some dietitian clients as well. Um, yeah, so that is me. I love it. Am congrats. I missing anything? No, congrats <laughs> Thank on you. Um, finishing school and starting to get your license in that. I know when we first spoke with you about a year and a half ago you were like just starting that or starting to close out your master's yeah Is that I, correct? I was almost graduated but I wasn't quite there yet congrats that's gotta be yeah. such a good feeling thank you thank <laughs> you yeah um, it's a journey to get licensed I'll be um when I am licensed I'll I'll be an LPC licensed professional counselor at least that's okay. what it's called in Pennsylvania which is where I'm at I love awesome. it. Ah, it's so exciting. Um, yeah, before you. we get into, you know, what we want to talk about today, I asked this with our last guest and I actually really like the question. So I want to like what your why is behind doing what you do and, you know, what makes this so important to you or, you know, how's it hit close to home? Yeah, that is a great question. And I really like that question as well. So I feel like I have to give you kind of my journey to explain my why. Um, I just was really interested in nutrition, specifically sports nutrition. I was an athlete growing up. Um, I heard a sports nutrition speak and I was just like totally captivated by everything I was hearing. And so I pursued that degree for my undergrad. Um, and I became a dietitian, like not really knowing much other than like, I didn't know what all I could do or where I'd end up. I just thought I wanted to be a sports dietitian. Um, I am not a sports dietitian specifically. <laughs> I have worked with athletes, but things have changed since those high school days. Um, yeah, so I became a, a dietitian and just over the years, like working with client after client after client after client, like just really getting into like the intimate details of their lives. And, you know, I wasn't a counselor at the time, but people would just like open up about their mental health and their struggles and the struggles with their body and just like trying time and time again to change their body. And, um, this is like post sports nutrition work. I wasn't working in sports at this time. Um, and I just started to realize like there's 
more to life than this. Like, at least that's what I believe. Like there is more to life than just trying to change your body. Like time and time again, like life is bigger than that. It should be bigger than that. And when that's the focus, like it feels so small and enclosed. And, um, so at the time I didn't know about health at every size haze, which I know we're going to talk about today. I didn't know about intuitive eating. I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of those things, but I just like, I knew something wasn't right. I just knew that this isn't like something was missing. And so I started to learn about health at every size and intuitive eating and, um, weight inclusivity and size diversity and, you know, all those things. And it just like, just opened my eyes up to just like a much more, I felt, I felt like so much more aligned in my work when I started to learn about those things. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to help people heal their relationship with their bodies and their relationship with food rather than help them try to change their bodies to feel better about themselves. Um, I just learned that it like went so, so much deeper than that. I love that. And actually, I think just to take it in, you mentioned Haze. I love that you said that there's so much more to life than resizing your body because coming from the dance perspective, we've talked about this in the past, but for those that don't know, you know, you get so wrapped up in the aesthetic sport of dance that your my body has to look a certain way. And there's only one right way to look. And obviously the world's starting to become a little more inclusive and not try to fit, you know, the perfect stereotypical ballerina body type, but can you share a little more about what the health at every size approach is and just for those that aren't aware with it already? Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you asking this. I love a chance to educate on health at every size. (laughs) So I did not come up with health at every size. Um, there is a whole association that, um, It's called, I'll just tell you what it is. It's ASDA, Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. So Health at Every Size comes from them. Um, They do have a website if you want to learn more. But there are principles of Health at Every Size. Um, So the principles are weight inclusivity. Um, So basically, we are acknowledging that bodies come in different sizes. Not all bodies are supposed to be um size diversity exists and it should exist and it will exist forever um so basically i rejecting just like completely rejecting the idealizing or pathologizing of body size and a lot of this language is directly from their site so i'm not taking credit for any of this um The second principle is health enhancement, basically saying that every body deserves a chance for health enhancement, regardless of their size. Um, And, you know, just supporting health policies and access to health, um, things like that. Um, But also that 
health is not just a number, that it is like a whole person approach. Um, and it includes physical, yes, but also economic, social, spiritual, emotional, and any other needs that is important to a person. It's really dangerous when we only assume physical health when a person has so many other components to their well-being than that. Mm-hmm. The next principle is eating for well-being. Um, Riley, I love your quote. You always say food is for supporting your body, not for resizing it. I think I it love was, it. <laughs> yeah, that's like essentially this. Eating is for well-being. Um, just diet culture and the world we live in so it's so misunderstood that eating is supposed to be for losing weight or for resizing your body but that's just not true it's it's to support your body um and it's really individualized and it should not be about controlling your weight um and there are two more we're almost done (laughs) um respectful care is the next principle so every body regardless of size deserves respectful care um i get really passionate about this because i've worked with people who have been um in a doctor's office and completely dismissed on what their actual issue is because they're told lose weight and this will go away well that's just not true um you know losing weight does not make a tumor go away or you know there's like so many health issues that can get looked over because of a a person's size and it's just sad and it's unfortunate and it's also dangerous um so it's yeah just respectful care everybody deserves it regardless of size um Something that just is kind of a conversation sometimes is like a comeback that people can say, and I'm not bashing doctors. I know we need doctors, but (laughs) unfortunately, a lot of weight stigma happens in the doctor's office. Um, But if a person is given advice to lose weight to like fix their problem, um, sometimes I encourage people to say, what advice would you give to someone with the same issue that was in a small what would you be telling them to do that's good um yeah kind of like skip over the Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's just get like to the actual problem not the size of my body please right and then there's one more life enhancing movement so Mm -hmm. movement exercise but i like to call it movement because it's like more emotionally friendly um (laughs) It's not, again, just like food, like it, it's a really negative relationship with movement if the only reason you're ever doing it is to change the size of your body. Mm. That's like promoted as a good thing in our culture, but it's really negative. Then you miss out on all the life enhancing things that it actually can give you, like connecting with nature, fresh air. I'm just assuming it's outside, but it can be inside too. Um, stress relief disconnection from your phone or a screen 
connection with other people if you want to do it with friends or whatever. Um, There's like so many life enhancing things that movement can Mm -hmm. be. um, And it does not and should not be for just resizing your body being the purpose. I think that's a war at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big one that dancers tend to mm-hmm. pass on a lot is, well, I need to go into the gym because I need to train my body to look a certain way for dance. And it's like mm-hmm. you're already dancing for your job, for your career, for your profession that, you know, when was the last time you moved for the sake of like feeling good? You know, the happy hormones yeah. that come from that. And that's the same way I think with eating a lot of times, too, it starts to become trends of un healthy underfueling. Once again, we've talked about whether intentional or not intentional, but don't realize the long-term effects it can have. And I'd love that you have anything to share on that as well. I first want to say that eating disorders are, this is like kind of, and I'm not, I know you're not only saying about eating disorders, but if underfueling mm-hmm. is a part of an eating disorder, I think it's just important to know that um, eating disorders are the most lethal mental health illness, um, which I don't know how widely known that is. Um, there's just, we know all about the stigma with mental health. Um, and I just think it's important information. Like eating disorders are very serious and they're both mental and physical. Um, you know, they're, they impact mental health, but also physical health um and they're really dangerous so if we're talking like full-blown eating disorder that's one thing um under fueling we can get into like specifics how it can impact the body um specifically for dance but um some examples are injury i mean there can be immediate injury um there can be prolonged long-term injury. Um, an example of like long-term injury would be osteoporosis, like brittle bones um, that normally you would see in an older, typically woman, um, but it can happen in your twenties if you if you undernourish your body, um, you know, from a, from a young age. Um, so osteopenia, osteoporosis, weak and brittle bones, um, hormonal imbalance is one. Um, so hormonal imbalance comes in different ways, but, um, like the loss of your period is a big sign of hormonal imbalance and that can have impacts on, um, so many systems in the body for sure um not just your uh reproductive system but um i know that in the dance community it can be uh, just depending like it can be um stigmatized like if you have your period versus if you don't get a period um but if you aren't getting a period your hormones are definitely imbalanced that can impact your mental health. It can cause um, you to be more at risk for depression. There have been studies, um, but also um, it can impact your your physical health as well. One thing we feel that's not talked about is 
the mental health and emotional health standpoint that comes from when you're under fueling. And then I think another big thing is dealing with the moralization of food and how those two really tie in together. What advice would you give to someone who's, you know, listening, maybe struggling with, you know, moralizing food or, uh, under fueling from that standpoint? Yeah. Dawson, if you have anything else to add in. No, I want to, yeah, we can go into that. That was going to be my next, my next (laughs) kind of question. So you hit the nail right on the head. (laughs) So the moralization of food, um, is, you're right. Like it really can impact mental health as well. Um, calling foods like good foods and bad foods or feeling good or bad because we've eaten the food or didn't eat a food. Um, feeling guilty because you've eaten a food um, or foods, avoidance of food, um, putting, putting food like on a pedestal essentially. Um, is all just so dangerous to a person's relationship with food, how they feel about themselves, like shame, um, how they're nourishing their bodies. Uh, just food shouldn't, shouldn't have that much power over a person. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it shouldn't, it's food is just food. And we're not doing anything to feel guilty about when we're eating food. Like that's not what guilt is for, you know, like you are doing nothing wrong by eating a food or foods. Um, it just is so confusing for people like learning, growing up learning or being taught through dance, wherever the sources that like certain foods are good, certain foods are bad and your good or bad because of, eating or not eating foods like that's so that's so much pressure right you don't need more of that (laughs) yeah definitely do not need more pressure in our life around food and we already have so much pressure in our life from dance and life and work and everything and then letting the only thing that really can kind of like give us that energy to do all of those different things in life then we're letting like that have so much power as well and it's just like this constant cycle where you're just like completely stressed out with every single aspect of life because you're sitting there wondering like what you should be putting in your body or like how little you could be putting in your body because Mm -hmm. of what society has kind of like ingrained in us like growing up depending on how your parents raised you or how they saw food because I know for me like that was definitely a thing as well um so that can like impact you a lot and then you're taking that into your adult life and when you go off to college and all of that stuff so letting food like have this like humongous power basically like it's in the driver's seat and then like you yourself are like all the way in the back seat it's just like it's kind of crazy but yeah, and we're not supposed to micromanage food in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the dangerous things you mentioned is about like the moralization of food is a lot of the times people, dancers, whoever can end up under under eating, under fueling, um, and you know, like carbohydrates can have a stigma that they're 
quote unquote bad, but they are the primary fuel source for our cells. Like, mm-hmm. and as a dancer, you need so many of them, you know? Right. So it's really, really unfair and confusing for people. Like that you brought up carbs. Cause that being, you know, big fear food that a lot of people have. And I think it's just because of the way the media portrays it. And you'll see one, all it takes is one social media post or one, you know, news article come out that say, oh, all of a sudden X, Y, and Z is bad for you. And so it's, oh, I've been good because I didn't eat it. Or I'm bad because I ate set, like, you know, I'm bad because I ate a burger. I ate a piece of pizza. And now I'm like, screwed for the day or people will say no to things because that food's going to be involved. Are there ways or steps or tips that you found to help people that are struggling with those said fear foods? Because that's a big thing that starts getting, you know, brought in and tends to sit coincide with um, the moralization of food. Okay. There's good and bad foods. And that bad food list is the fear food list. And it, you know, a lot of dancers, they, if you end up having it or interact with it, it's, I don't know. I've heard way too many dancers like fearing coffee that's not straight black or, you know, not going to go out to the restaurant with friends because food's involved. So we'll just like go out afterwards. And any advice for the fear foods and how to, you know, spot it, acknowledge it, seek help or any of that? I know it's loaded, but (laughs) how to spot it. That's a good question. Um, Sometimes it's like if you're really thinking about that food a lot, sometimes that's a sign that it's a fear food. Um, if you're thinking about a food and you eat it and you can move on, that's a good thing. But if you mm-hmm. are thinking about a food so much, trying to avoid it, kind of obsessing over it, um, that that sometimes is a sign that that food is a fear food. Um, Just in general, how to go about reducing those fear foods on your list, hopefully getting to the point where there are none, is including them. Like eating them on purpose. It's kind of like exposure work. Um, Sometimes it's hard to do on your own. So if if it can feel hard to do on your own, working with a therapist or a dietitian who's experienced in working with like disordered eating is a good idea. Um, you can kind of do like a hierarchy, whatever the most scariest food you can't even imagine eating it. You try so hard to avoid it as at the top of the pyramid. And then mm-hmm. at the bottom um, are still fear foods, but like more approachable. You can kind of like that way. You can start at the bottom and kind of like work your way towards the the harder foods, but you really should include all foods. Um, avoiding a food is giving it power, and um, I mean, unless you like genuinely don't like a food, that's one thing. But if you are avoiding a food for any other reason, it's probably a fear food. From a nutritional standpoint, you know, what are the benefits in, you know, including all foods? Or I guess where are like the downsides from avoiding, you know, food groups altogether? Example, people not laying carbs, so not eating as many whole grains or um, I'm trying to think of other yeah. examples. That's the first one that comes to my mind. Yeah. 
Well, each food group has different nutrition. So if you're avoiding a food or a food group, you are missing out on something. Um, whether it's carbohydrates in general, whether it's fiber, whether it's um, fats, fats are really important too. Um, protein's important too, but people aren't as afraid of protein. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, whether it's joy, pleasure, culture, connection, celebration, like food is more than just nutrition. Food is also mm-hmm. a part of life. Um, like I genuinely believe there are different colors, textures, flavors of food for a reason. I, I personally think we were supposed to enjoy food and food. Um, it doesn't have to be enjoyed every single time, but it, it, can be you know it can be pleasurable it should be pleasurable um i get that sometimes you just have to eat like because maybe that's what's available and maybe not everything is like the most pleasurable but food really should be enjoyed Mm -hmm. um so not only are you missing out on like nutrition bits you're also missing out on all those other things that food can be and should be yeah Dustin, I don't know if you have anything to add into this, but you mentioned celebration. And one thing we really wanted to touch on was the fact that the holidays are coming up. And that can be a time, especially Dawson and I both uh, can relate to this, that when our relationship with food was not so great, the holidays felt very high stress, high pressure, like almost you weren't able to fully enjoy it because you were worried about the food that was going to be at the table. How do you navigate the holidays, you know, or how can you better your relationship with food during this time? Well, first of all, it can be a process. Mm -hmm. For some people, it can be quick. You just need some direction, some support. But for other people, it can take maybe it's not going to be this holiday season or next next holiday season, but maybe the following holiday season, you're no stress around food. You know, you have to give yourself time to. it was a really big journey to get to where you're at. You need to give yourself time to get out of where you're at. Um, so I'll preface what I'm going to say with that. But um, there's there's definitely different ways to go about this. One thing that comes to mind is like try to get nostalgic. Like remember when you were a kid, what did you enjoy about the holidays? Like what did you like baking cookies with your mom or your grandma or your brother or your sister? Did you like to drink hot cocoa in front of a movie by the fire. Like, yeah. I don't know what I, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to think of like fun holiday things or Thanksgiving. I don't know. Did you, did you used to really enjoy the pie at Thanksgiving and were mashed potatoes your favorite food as a kid, you know, like before you were introduced to the body image stuff, which unfortunately sometimes it is at a really young age. But if you have any memories, like, from a kid when food was just neutral. Um, if you're lucky enough to have those memories, can we connect with those? Can we remember what it was like and kind of remind you that um, food doesn't have to be so scary? I feel That's... like a live. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No. <laughs> you can go. No. Right. I was going to say, I feel like I've been seeing that trend a lot or at least that pattern of thinking come up that people are like oh you know if you're feeling stuck in a rut it's like think about what you used to do as a child and I guess it's 
I don't know if it's an, on like therapist accounts or something I follow, but it's like tap back to like your inner child. Like what did they like doing when you were little? And so I didn't even yeah. think about doing that with food, but that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know like for me, when I was going through <clears throat> like my hard times and everything and I was struggling really bad, one thing that my therapist told me, and I will stick to this like every single time the holidays come around, because even though I've recovered and I've gotten past like all those hard things, it doesn't mean that it's still not there, like deep, deep, deep down inside. Like it'll still come up a little bit, but I'll like, I'm like good enough to like push it back. But one thing that I, I love that she said is that, you know, these holidays, like they do come around once a year and, you know, the, obviously like you can enjoy these foods at any point in the year if you wanted to, but they're typical for like the Thanksgiving dinner or like your Christmas dinner or your cookie, your Christmas cookies, like the little ones that you get um, with like the elf on them, the Pillsbury ones at the store that are just like, they come around and everyone loves them. Oh my God, so good. Or like the sugar uh, with like the frosting on them. Oh my God, I love those. Um, but they always come around like once a year. Like this isn't a time to like enjoy them because like it's not like you're you're eating this exact Thanksgiving meal every single day like mm-hmm. that. And also she also reminded me that when you're looking at a Thanksgiving plate, it is a combination of a protein, a carb, and a fat. So you're hitting all of your food groups with also your micronutrients from the veggies or – and then you've got like your pie. You've got apple pie and like all of that. So you get like – you know, you've got some micronutrients in there too. Um, it's a balanced plate. So if you're so worried about like, oh my God, the Thanksgiving meal, like I'm not going to eat all day so that way I can eat everything at dinner, that's – like you don't need to be doing that. Like you can, in order to not binge at dinner and eat everything and anything at dinner and then feel so guilty later, the, I feel like the best way, and you could probably talk more on that, is to ha- make sure you're having like balanced meals throughout the day, like a balanced breakfast, a balanced lunch. That way when you get to dinner, you can enjoy the foods that are there, but not in such large portions that at the end of the night, you're like, I can't believe I ate all that. Like I'm so mad at myself. Yeah. Yeah. You read my mind. That's where I was going next. Um, Absolutely. No skipping meals. Um, Definitely still eating regularly. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Um, I don't know what time Thanksgiving dinner is for people, but um, it is not the only meal you need that day. That is absolutely for sure. And also, the skipping of the meals to like save up for that big meal also really contributes negatively to the relationship with food. Cause like there's a reason that you're binging at dinner and then you're feeling guilty and it's so hard. Like it's because you didn't eat all day. <laughs> like you said, it's the, um, it's the restriction. The restriction is the problem. Mm-hmm. Dinner is not the problem. Thanksgiving dinner is mm-hmm. not the problem. Apple pie is not the problem. None of that's the problem. The problem is restriction. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't binging. The yep. problem is restriction. Yeah, binging it all is comes a down to that. Restriction. Yeah. Yes. It's the, you want what you can't have, and then yeah, it just leads to the guilt and shame. And then immediately when you give your example, Dawson, I was thinking, okay, you know you eat Thanksgiving dinner, you feel the guilt, you feel the shame. And then the next day it's, well, how can I move to make up for that? Right. And it's going back to like food shouldn't have that much of a control on your body 
And, you know, if you're maybe not feeling the best, feeling low on energy, going back to the how can you have, oh, what'd you call it, Chan? Not something movement. Not, but like uh, the life gentle movement. movement. There life we go. enhancing movement. I was like, hold on, because it's not about, okay, we got to go in the gym for like four hours and bust. Like, food should not be determining what you're going to do the next day. Yeah. 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 It, it's one little thing. It shouldn't be controlling. Something though. I actually talked about with a client today was about blinders. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is a visual thing. Obviously, okay. humans aren't going to wear blinders. But, like, horse races, how they have, like, blinders on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to have blinders on and, like, just take care of what you need in the moment and not worry mm-hmm. about what's going to happen later that day. Like, not saving up room or calories or you know whatever for this thing that's going to happen later like what does my body need right now how can I nourish myself how can I make sure I feel satisfied and energized right now and not worry about what's next um it can be a good thing to practice because um you know it's it can just feed into restriction if you're like worrying about later um because we need more than we need to eat regularly and we need to eat more than just, you know, once a day. Uh, so anyway, that's a little, little trick to try. Going back to you know, thinking about what my body needs now. I know just from conversations with friends in the past, there's a lot of miscommunication or understanding about how to determine if you're actually hungry or what you need when you need it. That especially with, Oh yeah. Like intuitive eating. Yeah, I was like, going to ask that, like, how would you determine if, like, you feel like you're in eating intuitively, but, like, you're really not actually eating intuitively? Like, you don't know when you're hungry, your hunger cues, mm-hmm. if that's, like, are, are, yeah. are we talking about yeah. the same thing, Marley? Yeah, okay. like, and after years yeah. of restriction and not listening to what your body needs, how do you, like, start listening? Because for so long, like so long or just restriction in general, you push those cues down. So it's like, how do mm-hmm. you reverse that? Yeah. Those cues do get suppressed. That's, That's absolutely true. Um, so you can't just learn. <laughs> I'm like hesitating because I obviously do love intuitive eating, but you're right. You, you don't know how to eat intuitively if you're not getting those cues. So you kind of have to, if you really are in that place of disordered eating, disorder, whatever, where you aren't getting hunger cues, you don't know, you're not in tune with your body in that way, it's a process. Like it takes some time. And another like analogy or visual is like you have to have a cast on or training wheels on for a while before you can take that cast off or those training Mm -hmm. wheels off and like eat intuitively. So uh, whichever of those examples you like better, let's use the cast. The cast is like following a meal plan that maybe someone else who knows what they're doing um, tells you to eat. So like, even though maybe you don't want to, or you're not hungry for it, um, you have to practice eating regularly. Um, and then with time, your hunger cues will come back. They absolutely will come back. One way I it's not exactly the same, but, um, with, with water, like if you go from being a person that's like not that good at drinking water and then 
you start drinking water again or for the first time mm-hmm. um you go from like not really ever being thirsty to well I'm drinking more water than I have before and I'm like always thirsty mm-hmm. have you ever noticed that yes yes that's on purpose. <laughs> so it's kind of similar with food. Only water and food are obviously very different, but um, <laughs> you're, you're giving your body what it needs. So your body's starting to trust you. And then it's like those cues start working again. So your body reminds you to drink water because you, it knows you'll listen. Ah. Legs. Your body Pick stops legs. giving you those cues whenever you're, they're not working. So why would your like your body's conserving? Your body's smart, you know. It's oh. not it's not working, so we're gonna stop doing it. So once you start eating more regularly, once you start drinking, <laughs> your body starts to remind you because it'll start to work. And you're not gonna be like starving all the time. There might be a phase of that. It's called a hypermetabolic state, which actually means you need even more food. Um, but then that does level out. Um, your hunger cues will come back, but it's a process. And you can trust your hunger. Hunger is a good thing. Hunger cues are important. They're telling mm-hmm. you something. Too many times I hear people not people being, I was guilty of this at one point too. It's like, oh, I'm hungry. Let me just go drink water so I'm not hungry anymore. And it's trying to not accept the fact that your body needs to be refueled or like you're low on energy and it goes back to the whole well, I'm trying to like resize my body. So why would I, you know, I'm only an hour away from my next meal. So let me just drink water until then. And just try or they'll to like, just tell be like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get a coffee. Why do we do that? <laughs> when we're hungry, we get a coffee? Like, I'm sorry. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> why are we doing that? <laughs> like we've had like That's four coffees today. Why are we confused? Yeah. And sadly, it's like, it's because it's taught to us mm-hmm. through dance but also just like diet culture in general like yeah. if you're hungry try drinking something like before i was yeah, a it'll fill up your stomach told, yeah right yeah yeah and that's so just then you won't be hungry like, yeah hunger and thirst are different for a reason right um i guess kind of like like i know for me like my last thing that i have in my head is if someone is listening to this and they're kind of like resonating with some things, but they've never been to like, they've never had like concerns from other people or concerns from their doctors because, you know, like health at every size, obviously like, you know, with that, but also on the other end of it, like it, it's not always someone's look can be like they have an eating disorder or something. But if someone's kind of like, you know, I, I've, now that they're talking about this, like I can kind of notice these things about myself. What would be like some indicators that someone should reach out for like higher help or where could they go to or who could they reach out to in order to kind of just like get a overview of like what's kind of going on? Cause I feel like a lot of people are in that space, but they don't mm-hmm. necessarily see it as a quote-unquote eating disorder so what would your take on that be yeah i would say if if any of this resonates with you um that's definitely a a sign that maybe you could use some support in this area um if you feel that your world has like gotten smaller 
and you're just thinking like so much of your brain space is thinking about food, thinking about your body, fear around food, fear around gaining weight. Um, which I did want to mention fat phobia at some point. Um, fat phobia is, is a big problem. Um, and a person isn't inherently bad because they're fat phobic or people are taught to be fat phobic, but that's something that can be unlearned. Um, you know, a lot of people are unintentionally fat phobic because they've been taught to be, um, you know, yes, yeah. the dance world, it's your dance world. Yeah. If any of this feels like we're striking a chord, you know, just be honest with yourself, really. Like mm-hmm. you'll know, you'll know if this is something that is important to you. Um, and if you want your world to get bigger, if you want to gain experience, if you want to get that energy back, like if I could give you all the energy back that you spent thinking about this stuff, doing things to like avoiding food, over exercising, like all these things, researching, following meal plans that are way too low. Um, mm-hmm. If I could give you that energy back, and you could do like anything else with it, what would like, what would you do? What would your life be like? Um, like what's important to you in this life? If any of this resonates, then it's worth just seeking some support. If you're working with a therapist already, I would say have a conversation with your therapist. Um, not all therapists are educated on eating disorders and size inclusivity and and whatnot so have a conversation with your therapist and if it's not feeling like they're able to support you in this area um you can ask for referrals or you can do some of your own searching like in your area sometimes psychology today can be helpful they have like an eating disorder tab um eating disorder centers just depending on where you're at have lots of online resources. Um, there's different like levels of care. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be sent to a residential program, which although if that needs to happen, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's literally life-saving if that needs mm-hmm. to happen. Yes. Um, but they have like programs all the way down to um, patient programs. Um, our website, I know we're in Pennsylvania, but we're virtual mostly. Um, so we do practice in some other states. We have some licensed clinicians in some other states. Um, it's called Inspired. Um, you can you can just Google Inspired without the E. So I-N-S-P-I-R-D, Nutrition and Mental Health Counseling. We have a whole list of books and podcasts that are um, good recommendations. So you could check out those resources. Um, we will link that yeah, so people can yes, find we'll it. link them. We'll so link it. You so. can find them. <laughs> just but, a couple of places to go. Yeah. We appreciate you providing those resources. And I think, you know, you'll hear it plenty of times before, but it's so important to seek support and seek help. And it's not weak for doing so. It's the best thing you can do for your mind and body. And yeah. Dawson and I can attest to that as well for anyone listening. <laughs> Trying to make it less scary in today's day and age. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> really appreciate and you. And I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. This is such important conversations you're having. And Thanks. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's so helpful for people. Thank we appreciate you. you joining us this evening and just sharing all that. Obviously, there's so many things we could go into, but we got a time limit. <laughs> <laughs> we got um, things to do. But yes, we will make sure to link Inspired Nutrition so our friends can find you, especially we've got a lot of people listening that are in PA. Um, so we will provide you as a resource. And yeah, yeah thank got, you. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. Of course. Thank you. (laughs) We will be in touch again. But thanks, everybody, and we will see you next Thursday. Have a great week, everyone.